0: Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. I I really, really, really believe uh, that God wants to give us a new identity this morning. Not as a church, but as individuals. Um, there are a lot of things that define who we are or try to define who we are. There are a lot of things that, that try to tell us how to live, how to act, who to be. Um, you know, I mean, everything is a label. Everything is a label. You know, what, what's your name? What, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? What's your medical history? Social Security number. Credit's a big one right now. I mean, everybody's defined in, in the business that I sell homes for a living, and and uh, everybody that comes in there wants to buy a house, but you got to have good credit. You know, what I mean, you're defined by so many things: how old you are, your race. The world tries to put us labels on us all the time. And, uh, and I think that really our, our core, I mean, the core, our core being really wants to know who we are. I think that uh, we want to know what our purpose is. We want to know why we're here. We have a lot of questions. I think it doesn't matter if you're in the church or outside of the church, if you believe in God or you don't believe in God. I think that, that there's a longing to know who am I? Who am I? It's not just about my name or what I do for a living. Or I mean, there are a lot of people out there that, that label themselves, that their identity is found in what they do for a living, or who they're married to, or what they do recreationally, or there's so much that we allow to shape and mold who we identify as. And nowadays, nowadays oof, I mean, we can identify as anything. Um, I I really believe that that's probably one of the reasons why. like, Because people would rather, listen, people would rather read a book and have an author tell them who they are and what their purpose is. than pick up this book and ask Jesus who they are. Amen. I mean, it, it would be the easiest way. I mean, I know there's a lot of times in my life where I've thought it'd be just nice if somebody would just tell me what to do. It'd be nice if they told me what, where I was supposed to go, who I was supposed to pray for, what I was supposed to eat. What I, it'd just be easy, wouldn't it? So when you, you have these, these books, and I'm not, I'm not down and I am just I read the book. But your, your identity and your purpose is not found in a book. Right. Amen? I Come mean, on. it's not found there. Um. So I'm going to give you a little bit of so my struggle as trying to find who I am. And to be honest with you, I don't I think that I've I'm what 37 years old. And I think just in the last 6 months I've really understood who I am. So I've I've chased a lot of things. I've chased a lot of things that 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 I thought was my identity. And I've had a lot happen over the years that tried to shape who I was, that tried to tell me who I was. And, and I mean, man, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we, that we do, that we go, th- I mean, there's good things that shapes who we are. Tragedy, I mean, there's good things in life too. But our purpose and our identity can only be found in Christ. Amen, Amen? Amen. I mean, it really is. But, but then at the same time, it's, it's easy to say, well, I identify, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, I go to church, or I believe in God, or I don't go to church, um, whatever, it doesn't matter. But there's, that term Christian gets thrown around way too much. I just call ourselves that, drives me nuts, honestly. If we believe in God, we call ourselves Christians. If we believe in the notion or the thought, we call ourselves Christians. Um, I remember when I was, I was 12 years old, I found out that I, that my dad, that I thought was my dad, wasn't my dad. And I thought, um, I found out through just, I was home by myself, and uh, I found this paperwork in a file folder, and I read it and found out that, that I was actually named after a man that wasn't my father, uh, and I was going by a different name, and my dad, who I thought was my dad, wasn't my dad. I mean, I think it really wrecked, it, it wrecked me, in a sense. But when I, I called my mom, I called my mom up, and I said, hey, um, I found this paperwork. I was, I was 12 or 13 years old. And I said, uh, what is this about? And she said, well, I thought I told you that. What a crappy response! (laughs) I mean, come on. I thought I told you that your dad wasn't really your dad, and oh, by the way, you're actually uh, named Robert Lynn Rocha Jr. And uh, but that guy's not your dad either. My, I mean, I just at that point I didn't know, and I don't even, I can't even begin to even try to explain or articulate what I felt in that moment because I don't remember. but the the feeling that it was just kind of blown off it was it was not really addressed and since you know my dad is my dad I don't I don't know who my real dad is and that's not really a big deal to me it doesn't matter to me or my biological father um, but I think that that it it created this spiral effect for me uh, and and yeah I, I did some terrible things as a teenager and and then. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out who I was, or trying to figure out what crowd I was going to hang with, or who I fit in with, or all those things like teenagers do. Um, I remember when when Jamie and I got together, I became an instant father because she had two beautiful daughters already, and uh, I'm like, I don't, I, first of all don't know even how to really be a, like a live-in boyfriend, and we moved in together. I know, tisk tisk. <laughs> Pre-Jesus, and then when we, when we discovered who Jesus was, we wanted to get married as quickly as possible. Anyways, um, there's the churchy answer. <laughs> so uh, I had to be, you know, we, lit, we moved in together. We, we moved in together really fast, and our relationships, really, I mean, it just blossomed really fast. And uh, I was a business owner at the time, and... I had just moved from, I, I grew up in the Detroit area, and I moved three hours north um, to where Jamie had lived. And so I was, I was discovering who I was outside of my parents' house, and who I was as just a person. And then, and then I had kids all of a sudden. I was 22, 22 years old. I had two kids. One was eight and three. Uh, they were both daughters, or both girls, of course, because you know that's how blessed I am. And uh, those, those prayers about surrounding me with beautiful women when I was a teenager, it, it happened. The Lord has a sense of humor. <clears throat> so I was trying to figure out who I was as a dad, uh, and I didn't even know what to do with that, uh, and who I was as a person. And, and then uh, Jamie tricked me into going to church. And, and then Jesus got a hold of my heart, and I'm like, who is, who is Jesus? I've never even heard of Jesus. I didn't. I mean, I'd never heard of Jesus. i never heard of Jesus. I knew God. I believed in God. So my mom was kind of raised in this Catholic background. She wasn't Catholic by any means. Her mom thinks that she's Catholic, and uh, she does, still to this day. Um, anyway, so... So I knew who God was, kind of. I mean, I believed in God, but I didn't know who Jesus was. I had no clue. So then I, I went into the church, and I got, I got struck by Jesus, and then I was trying to figure out who that was, and, and, then, and then, we, uh, then we found out that we had another child on the way, and, and then we got married, and, and then I got even more wrecked by Jesus, and, and then I became a worship leader, and then later, shortly after that, I got called into ministry, and I mean it was just this spiral effect for me. It was I I couldn't even figure out the first thing, let alone the last thing. And and for me, I thought well I had to be this this and this and this and this because the world tells me I got to be this kind of dad and this kind of and and I suck at being a dad. I just did. I mean you know I've gotten better over the years, but my gosh, did I I was horrible at the beginning. I just was horrible. And I'll pay for counseling later, and it'll be all right. (laughs) I told Jamie, I said, we're going to finish strong, and that's all that matters. I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people in the Bible did not finish strong. We are going to finish strong, this parenting thing. So I think it's better to finish strong than start out and fizzle, right? This is kind of my, you know, <laughs> it's my point of view on it. <clears throat> so... Um, So then, then through all that too, the Lord called me to go to school and, and I got my bachelor's degree and I was trying to figure, I mean, it was a mess. It was just, it was a mess for me. And I was trying to be somebody that I thought I needed to be, but I didn't really know who I needed to be. So I was, I mean, I was, I was getting from influence from all angles. And honestly, I was doing a terrible job at all of them. Uh, I mean, I, I, was, I was good at faking it. I got really, really good at faking it. And uh, it's just what I thought I had to do because I had to get through it. I had to figure it out. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, my wife and my children knew I was a terrible dad. But I was <laughs> just kidding. But I was trying to be a husband, trying to be a dad, trying to be a pastor, trying to be a worship leader, trying to be... I mean, it, it, was, it was exhausting. Exhausting. I, I struggled so much trying to figure that out. And, I, and no matter how hard I tried, or no matter how many books I read, I couldn't, I couldn't discover who I really was. I wanted a book to tell me how to be a dad. I wanted a book to tell me how to be a husband. I wanted a speaker to tell me how to follow God. I, wanted, I, mean it, I relied on all these other aspects in my life to tell me how to live, and I still couldn't figure it out. It was such a it was it was it was a mess it was exhausting and then and then we we moved and pastored church uh, and I, you know I, I <laughs> that was a whole nother a whole nother adventure in the sense of I feel bad for those people because we didn't know what we were doing and uh, we were so deceived and it was it was a mess but it, it really, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest when I say I, I've really spent the last six months discovering who I am. Amen. Amen. Not who I am to Jamie, not who I am to my children, not who I am to my employer, not who I am to my friends or my family, but who I am to him. Amen. And it's been a painful process, but it's been glorious. Oh, my, has it been glorious. Come on. So good. Um, I think one of, the, one of the most impressive identity stories to me throughout the Bible, and there's a ton of them, but is, is Paul. Because here in, in Acts chapter 8, we see Saul, we see Saul Paul, persecuting the church. He's murdering Christians, he's, he's doing terrible, horrible things, and he is completely 100% against Jesus. And then in chapter 9, I'm just going to read it. So in chapter 9, verse 1, Now Saul, still bringing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying." And he seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. That would be my response too. I mean, you're asking me to go to a guy that, that has literally just killed Christians and he's persecuting us and I mean that's Just a ridiculous request, God. I mean, I mean, really. Lord said to him, "Go for His chosen instrument, mine, to bear My name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for My name's sake." So Ananias went, and and Saul received his sight. Now, this is—I think this is the biggest impact right here in verse uh, nineteen. So he says, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. An identity change just like that. Now, if that were, and it has been me. Okay. When I encountered Jesus, I thought, well, I got to get this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. I missed the fact that he changed my identity like that. Amen. Yes. And I spent 14 years trying to do this, this, and this, and this, and this to get myself right before God so I could serve him. Yeah. Believing all the lies the enemy had to tell me about my past, about who I was and who I, was, who I thought I was anyways who I'd been told I was, and it, it, it destroyed me. I spent 14 years feeling like a failure. I mean, I've spent more than that feeling like a failure, but, but 14, is it 14 years of my Christian life, the, my entire Christian life following Jesus, I felt like a failure. I got up every Sunday and I led worship. I got every Sunday and I preached. And I resolved that I was going to follow God. I went to school. I worked full time. I did all this stuff for him. Trying to earn his approval. Trying to gain something that I didn't have. But in an instant. In an instant. He gave it to me. Paul wasn't privileged. He didn't receive something that we don't all receive. When we say yes. He says that immediately he went into the synagogues and he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I mean, how uncomfortable would that be for Paul? Seriously, I just got done murdering Christians, but now Jesus is good. I mean, seriously, I think I'd be a little uncomfortable if I were him. Standing in front of the church, going, Well, yeah, Jesus is good. Well, I know what I did yesterday, but it's all good. We're, we're good now, right? We're good. Fist bump. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. I mean, it, it really is ridiculous, but that's how God works. That's right. It's not a time frame. It's not a, well, all right, listen. I'm going to meet you on, on the road to Damascus. You get your stuff in order. You come back. We'll meet again. We'll have the board review it. I'll take it to Papa and then we'll see. You know, it'll be four to six weeks before we have a decision. It's not like that, but that's how we think. I mean, I remember when my pastor asked me, he says, You want to receive Jesus? Like, I don't even know what that means. But I said, Well, I'm gonna get married next week, and if I don't say yes, you're probably not gonna marry me. So, sure. I'm not kidding, that's how I received Christ. I wasn't exactly the model Christian after that. But it wasn't until I encountered who he was. Come on. I had to have an encounter. That's right. Amen. Not just a knee-jerk response. Not what I thought was somebody else wanted. Again, trying to be somebody I wasn't. Trying to fill the frame of somebody else's identity and not my own. So I lied. I hid because I wanted people to think I was something that I wasn't for 14 years. I mean, I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't wasn't terrible, but I hid for 14 years as a Christian, as a man of God, as a pastor, as an elder in the Nazarene church. I hid because I didn't think I was worthy. Because I didn't think I was good enough. I mean, mean, that's really, truly the reason why. If I get right down to the core of why I acted the way that I acted, it's because I didn't feel like I was good enough to do it. I felt insecure. I felt, I mean, I just, I'm not going to get into this whole, you know, uh, counseling session or psychology, but it's really the way it is. And our past affects us so much that the enemy has so many tools to toy with us. And it really doesn't take much because we've lived our life so long believing lies. Um, And I, I really believe... I really believe that misconceptions of who Christ is and who we are in Christ gives birth to all sorts of affliction. Anxiety, fear, depression, lack of confidence, relationships. I mean, you name it. I really do. I believe that. I mean, we believe that it's circumstance. We believe, well, we, we did this and now we feel this way. Or, well, we, you know, we just... It's bad luck. But I believe that our thinking frames who we are. 100%. And nobody can tell you who you are. Does that make sense? I can't tell, I can't tell any of you who you are. Because then you receive it from man... And it never sticks, anyways. Right. Now I can see through the spirit who you are, but it won't do me any good to tell you. Does that make? I mean, it, it's so good. because you got to hear it from him. Amen. Amen. And here's the beauty of it: is that he'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. He'll reveal it to you. <clears throat> because the lack. The lack of true identity keeps us vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's where the enemy wants us. He doesn't want us to know who we are in Christ. And I'm not talking about the church phrases. The things that, well, the Bible says, the church says, Sunday school, all this kind of stuff. I'm not talking about the, the blanket statements of who is Jesus. Well, he's my savior. I know he's your I mean, he is. But there are blanket statements that people give in the church because it sounds good. You know why? Because we really don't know who Jesus is. So we begin to use the big words of He is my Redeemer. He's my Savior. He's the Son of God. He is all those things. But who is He to you? I think that's one of the... Hal Perkins... This is the disciple. I mean, I think that's one of the most important questions that we ask. In, uh, in Luke 9 18, 20, uh, it says, And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old is risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say? That I am. And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God, who do you say that I am? And I really believe that, that Jesus asks that question of us Amen. all the time, yes. every situation that we enter. Amen. Who am I to you? Don't give me the blanket church response. Tell me who I am to you. Not me, but Jesus. Um. (laughs) Genesis 126. I think this, I mean, this really, this verse, I think if you could pick one identity (laughs) verse in the Bible... I think this frames absolutely everything. I really do. And it's simple. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We are made in his image. His likeness. Every person that walks the earth is made in his image come on it doesn't matter who they are what they've done he's made them in his image so where does your identity lie well if, if i'm made in his image and according to his likeness Mom's laying down the law. 1 <laughs> <laughs> Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people. Once you had no identity. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I could go on and on and on and on. I'm not a long witted preacher. Huh? Maybe a little bit. But there are, I mean, there are countless, countless identity verses in the Bible. But I, I don't think... I'm not negating the word of God, but I think that we really need to hear it from him directly. I think we can read this front to back over and over and over and over and over and over over again and still not know who we are. I really believe that because I've witnessed it. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've read it. I know what it says. And yet I still didn't know who I was. I've talked with 90-year-old people that have read it over and over and over again, know the Word better than I do, but still don't know who they are. So we have to hear His voice. Amen? We have to hear His voice. Otherwise, we'll never really truly know who we are. And I believe that God, I believe... I believe that the Father wants to tell us who we are. Yeah. I really do. I believe that's one of the first things he wants us to know. Yeah. This is who you are to me. And guess what? When we hear him say it, <laughs> the enemy's voice gets just, just a little bit quieter. Just a little bit quieter. Quieter. Um Matthew 14, um, this is, I mean it, it, this, this story in the Bible is probably overdone and overpreached. but <laughs> Jesus walks on the water, Peter gets out of the boat. So in, in verse 22 immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he'd sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, "'It is a ghost,' and they cried out in fear, "'they didn't know who Jesus was.' But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "'Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid.' Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, this, this is one of those verses that we preach about, we talk about when we want to talk about faith. But Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. He took his eyes off Jesus. But I think it's more about identity, perfectly honest. I really do. I think when when Peter got out of the boat, he knew who he was. But then he allowed the distractions and the things around him. And he forgot who he was and he began to sink. I do. I mean, I, I really believe it's an identity crisis. He took his eyes off Jesus for just a moment and he forgot who he was. I'm a lot more excited about that. I just am. Because what it, tells, what it says is that if, if we get out of the boat and keep our gaze on him, on. we know who we are. Because I, I really believe when, when, when Peter asked Jesus, asked me to come, and, it, and Jesus said, come. Jesus imparted Peter's identity yeah. in those words. I really do. Amen. And immediately Peter had no hesitation because he knew That's right. who he was and the power that he carried. And he got out of the boat. you know how many times I got out of the boat and somebody told me, well, you're not good enough? Or circumstances came and showed me, well, this is really, really hard. And I took my eyes off of him. And all the lies that I've believed over the years, and there are many, came flooding back. And I got back in the boat and I shrunk down and I hid. I got under a blanket because I was scared We have to keep our gaze on him. Because Amen. Amen. our identity comes from him yes. and him alone. Not from your mom, not from your dad, not from your brother, sister, not from your church, not from your pastor. Right. Come on. It comes from God. I mean there are great people and great things out there to help you along the way but if your identity is in anything other than what God has spoken to you I guarantee you you struggle I guarantee it there is a there's a verse that I read in Deuteronomy 12 well it's a couple verses Um, and I I really it's it's really, to me, it's symbolic, but it's 12.2. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their shirim with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. I believe that this symbolizes and tells us exactly what God does when he delivers us. He rips down every stronghold in our life. Every one of them. Listen, every one of them. They're gone. They're destroyed. They're burned up. There is no remnant left. When you encounter God, and I know everybody in this room has, And you receive deliverance. You receive your identity. He takes away everything. Everything. And leaves nothing left. Nothing. We literally literally have to go back and build the strongholds back up. We have, to, we have to put in the effort <laughs> to build our strongholds back up in our life. I don't, to me that, you know, there had been many times over my life in my Christian life where I went to the altar and I prayed and I got healed and delivered, and then I went right back to the old stuff. And I thought, well, I guess I didn't get healed or delivered. I guess God didn't want to take that away from me. It didn't make any sense to me. I got angry. I'm hard-headed, and I analyze everything way too much, and my wife would tell you that. I just, I just need to know how everything's going to play out. Um, it didn't dawn on me until I read this verse And God revealed to me that all these years and all that time he had taken it all away. He'd wiped everything out. He burned everything up. And I went back in and built it all back up again. And I can't even count how many times I did that. And I I read that and I just, oh my. It just struck me. Because if if we would understand his power and what he wants to do in us to the degree to where when we encounter him and we pray and we ask, he does it. There's no question. There's no doubt. When he delivers, he delivers. And I don't even think it's a process. I don't think it's a, well, this step, this stage, we're going to take this, and then we're going to... I just, I just think that if we fully surrender to God, fully surrender, there, there's the... Huh, there's the clause. The fine print, the asterisk. We have to fully surrender. Not just a portion, but all of it. When we do... <laughs> It's done. It's not a little bit at a time. I I mean, God will do that because that's what we make him do. That's what we allow him to do is just a little bit. This, we're going to take this now, and I'm going to give you this now, and I'm going to give you this. God wants it all right in an instant so he can wipe you clean just like he did Paul, change your identity in a flash, in a moment, and send you out so you can proclaim his excellency. I mean, really. I think God despises broken Christians, I really do, in the sense of, listen, I, I set you free. Why are you still walking in that? Don't hear me right on that, don't I think that brokenness is a is a place where we have to enter into to allow God to do the work, but he doesn't want us to stay there. That's right. right, That's right. Amen. uh, There's this lie the enemy tells, and I think he tells all Christians this. I mean, I guess I haven't polled all of them, but we'll just go with that because I can. Um I just believe that he tells them, Well, you don't have the authority. Remember, you did this, so you don't have the authority to pray over that, or you don't have the authority to minister to that, or you don't have this because remember when you did that, you're, you don't, you know, people don't want you to touch them or pray for them for that because you've struggled with that too. I just, I mean, I think that that's where the enemy keeps us. If he can deceive us and keep us in the lies, we never move forward with God, we never claim our true identity. So what does the Bible say our identity is? So I just just made a list of a, a bunch of words. And I'm sure there's more. But this is the list I came up with. The Bible says you're a child of God. You're cleansed, accepted, called, set apart, comforted, created by God. You're an overcomer, transformed, redeemed, sanctified. You're light in the darkness, strong, courageous, blessed. You are royalty, faithful, complete, healed, firmly rooted, disciple, worthy, triumphant, salt of the earth, mind of Christ, fruitful. You are the fullness of God, alive in Christ. You're his. You belong to Papa. You're his. You're shameless, that's a good Garth Brooks song, purified, born again, free, precious, never forsaken, loved, fearless, adopted, delivered, forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, victorious, holy, an heir, dead to sin, chosen, reconciled, joyful. You are the righteousness of God, powerful. You're the apple of my father's eyes. One with Christ, more than a conqueror, peaceful, crucified, God's workmanship, you are the character of God, and you are beloved. Wow. Wow. Amen. Yeah Come on', yeah. Come on. so good. Whatever we speak over our own lives becomes our identity. And whatever we speak over somebody else's life becomes their identity. So, and I did, I, I did this a lot, as humble as I could. Try to be as humble as I could. And I was a, I'm a humble person, I really am. But I thought that if I spoke against myself, That would make me more humble. I know that sounds ridiculous. Maybe you guys don't do that. Maybe you guys speak really highly of yourselves. I don't know. But that's called arrogance. But anyways. So I'd say stuff like, I'm stupid. Or that was really dumb. Or what was I thinking? Or, and I'm not saying that those thoughts don't come now. Because that's what the enemy wants us to think. But what I do now is when I say, when I think that I'm dumb, I say, well, no, I'm not. I have the mind of Christ. Right. That's so, right. good. so good. Yeah. So good. When, I, when I say I'm dirty, I say, no, I'm cleansed. Yeah. yeah. When I feel alone, I'll say, I'm never forsaken. Right. When fear sets in, I, no, I'm fearless. When I feel like I can't continue, no, I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. When unrest comes, no, I have peace. I mean, it sounds sounds corny in a sense. I mean, because I know if I was sitting in the seats two years ago and somebody said, well, this is what you should do, I'd say, well, that's weird. That's just how I would have thought. But I have to constantly, and I think that we all have to constantly do this, rebuke the lies and speak the truth. That's right. Come on. Yes. Because the enemy's not going to stop lying. That's right. And he's not going to stop trying to nag you and tell you that yeah. you're not good. Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.